0: RadioInfluence.com
1: Welcome to the Lawfather Podcast. As always, we are here at Lawfather Headquarters. Uh, we'll actually be in this Lawfather Headquarters for about another month. And uh, those of you who follow us on the video side of things will see us in a new location, 202 South Rome Avenue, uh, here in about a month. So stay tuned for that. Uh, coming up on Thanksgiving here, so um, just kind of a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and uh, be careful on Black Friday. And just a little show note, we'll uh, there will be no show airing on the 30th. I'll be off for Thanksgiving, so I'll catch you guys next one in December. Uh, so hopefully all of you have... Good Thanksgivings. And one last piece on Thanksgiving before we get into some of the legal topics that we're going to talk about today is check us out in Hyde Park on Tuesday, uh, November 24th from 11 to 1. Look out for the Law Father Jeep. We will be giving away uh, turkeys. Uh, we'll be giving them away in the form of Publix gift cards. Okay. we Normally we do a turkey drive and we give, or a turkey giveaway rather. And we give away actual turkeys uh, this year with COVID and all the related pieces to it. Uh, We're going to scale it down some and... because normally we have a big party, DJ, everything else, and give away turkeys. But this year, we're going to give away Publix gift cards in the amount of an average turkey and an average pie. So come out, take a look at us for that. uh, Salt Pines and The Law Father have actually come together also. We will be giving away a couple of Yetis that are co-branded with Salt Pines and The Law Father. So... Come take a look at those things. Check us out at Hyde Park, November 24th, uh, 2020, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Like I said, take a look for the Law Father Jeep. That's where we will be. So let's get into a couple topics today. A couple things we're going to look at. First is the Toronto Raptors, and what do the Toronto Raptors have to do with the law? Not a ton except for the fact that we are in Tampa and the Raptors will be at least starting the first half of the season in Tampa this year. So really looking forward to that. Uh, Kind of some interesting nuances that have come out of this. Uh, Number one, I don't think we know yet whether or not there will be fans in the stands. Personally, I'm hoping that there will be some avenue for those of us in Tampa who want to watch professional basketball. Yes, we have professional basketball in Orlando, but those of you who live in Tampa know that the short 90-mile trip to Orlando is treacherous and can take upwards of over two hours. So not really an easy venue to get to, which actually brings up kind of an interesting point in all this, which I never realized, and maybe those of you listening didn't realize as well. So we do have the Orlando Magic, and they are in Orlando, obviously, which those of you who aren't familiar with the area, Orlando and Tampa, like I said, are 90 minutes away from each other. And when you're talking about professional sports leagues, the, they break up the teams, and those teams have rights to certain areas, all right? Um, so when you're talking about basketball, you have the Orlando Magic here. Orlando owns the rights, or the Orlando Magic owns what's called the territorial rights to the Tampa area. So that means that Orlando Magic games show up on Tampa TV, Right, But what's going to happen here? We're going to have the Toronto Raptors here in Tampa. Are those of us in Tampa going to be able to watch them? Are they going to be a quasi-Tampa team? Well, it doesn't look like that. And here's the couple of pieces that, that I'm seeing and hearing is, number one, the Raptors owner has said, hey, look, <laughs> they're a Toronto team, Tampa. Hands off. We're just borrowing your arena. They're our team. Don't get used to it. It'd be kind of cool if they did stay, though, right? Uh, but the the bigger problem and the bigger part to it is that because Tampa's part of for the NBA, at least Tampa's part of the Orlando market, there would have to be some kind of deal worked out. A for a team to come in, but yeah, you know, more more immediately speaking, in order for the Toronto Raptors games to be broadcast on TV in Tampa. As part of a, as if they were a Tampa team, there has to be some deal struck with Orlando. Uh, so stay tuned for that. All of this comes down to contractual obligations, uh, and that's where we could see the law come into things. So if all of a sudden TV started broadcasting Toronto Raptors games, there could be breaches of contract that come into play between the Orlando Magic and those teams. I don't think we're ever going to get there. I don't think that it's one of those things that. These TV stations are going to take the chance uh, uh, of breaching a contract with the Magic. But that would be how the law could play into things. And hey, if the Raptors love Tampa as much as I hope that they do, maybe uh, we look at a breach of contract action for them to move from Toronto to Tampa. Who knows? Uh, just on keeping on the legal side of things also, uh, one of the, the things that will likely happen here is look there's still a toronto team there's still a canadian team and those players will still be taxed at the canadian the u.s uh based taxes that they can that they currently pay how it works in professional sports uh and having been a sports agent it, it is it has to do with where the team is located so uh most recently i had a guy who signed with the mets and uh, he was drafted by the mets and and signed and The team, when they initially brought him in, signed him with the Gulf Coast League Mets, which is based here in Florida, uh, Port St. Lucie, I believe. And the contract there was with the Gulf Coast League Club because the Gulf Coast League Club had an LLC. And that meant that players had no income tax because Florida has no income tax. Whereas if they signed a contract with the actual New York Mets entity, they would actually be taxed at the New York rate. So that's what we see here. And and there's taxes that come into play because these guys play in in several different states. Uh, A lot of tax ramifications when you're talking about professional sports. Uh, But I don't think that the Toronto Raptor players will benefit from the lack of income tax here in Florida because they will still be based with a Canadian entity. Uh, if they created a new entity that was based here in Florida, uh, they could potentially have no income tax. So you know, maybe that's something for them to look at for this half of the season. However, highly, highly doubtful that anything like that will happen. But that are the Toronto-slash-Tampa Raptors. TNT, I think, uh, I think we have a winner there. Maybe they could come on down and be the Tampa Raptors or do what the Rays had talked about doing in split time, Toronto and Tampa, just like Montreal and Tampa was in the talks there for a little bit. But anyway, so not a lot of legal stuff going on there, but definitely very interesting. I uh, could potentially have some legal things, but I don't think we're going to see those. So let's take a look at another topic that Based here in Florida, uh, although it can actually expand out across the country. And let's look at your social media posts your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook. Okay. That's yours, right? You put that out into space. It's your words, freedom of speech, First Amendment. Okay. But is it? And it's kind of an important topic and it's something that everybody needs to consider. So, what brought this on was a professor at the University of Miami, all right, and anytime you're looking at things like this, you really need to look at what we on the legal side call the totality of the circumstances, and it's really just looking at everything, look at the big picture, try to figure out what's really going on here, and I think that's going to be an important thing, but those of you who are listening who work in Florida, Really important thing to keep in mind Florida is an at will state, which means that employers can fire for basically no reason at all. Okay. The only real thing there is you can't discriminate. Okay. You can't fire somebody because of their race. You can't fire somebody because of their religion. Okay. But the reality is you can fire somebody just because. Okay. You don't necessarily have to have a reason. So even though you can't. Discriminate in your firing. I don't know how you would ever prove discrimination in firing unless you had an employer who outright came and said, "I'm firing you because of your race." I, I, I mean, I can't imagine that. Um, although, hey, it it probably happens. Uh, one thing, having been in law enforcement and working in the law, you learn to not ever be surprised by anything that people do. <laughs> That's the stark reality. Is There is no surprises anymore. Uh, Anytime someone tells me something that happened, it's just, oh, wow. Okay. First time hearing that, but definitely not surprised. So let's look at this particular instance and and let's break it down. Let's look at some things and try to figure out what's going on. Uh, Because like I said, it does have a really good tie-in to those of you out there listening who go to work every day and think, hey, I can say whatever I want and do whatever I want off my work hours but can you? Because are you a reflection of that company? I can do and say what I want because of the First Amendment. Right? It's not necessarily true. And you know, one of the pieces that's not protected by the First Amendment is vulgar and inflammatory language. Okay? It's just not. It's... So free speech is essentially free speech to a point. Right? And then it's not free speech. Now there's a difference when we're talking about free speech and the first amendment between what the government can regulate and what private business can regulate. So also keep that in mind. Okay. Because the constitution and the amendments, the bill of rights, we're dealing with the federal government. We're dealing with the state government. Okay. We're dealing with governmental entities on the flip side of things, private business, private enterprise can really do what they want. They can set different standards. Okay, so very very important to keep in mind. Now, what we're talking about out of the University of Miami is a professor, uh, presumably a white professor at the University of Miami, and he had a couple of tweets. And, uh, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't know how awful these tweets are. Okay, um, I, I'm not looking at it from that perspective. I'm just looking at it from the legal perspective. So what we have here is we have a professor at the University of Miami who's under contract. So it does change things a little bit, right? Because if you don't have a written contract, you're, you can be fired at will. If you have a written contract, you could potentially have a breach of contract. Think of where we see this a lot with people being fired. Okay, those of you who watch sports, coaches are fired, right? Well, guess what happens? That team or that college or university has to pay that coach based on the terms of their contract unless that coach breached the contract. And we see that sometimes. We see every once in a while where a coach will fight their termination because they'll say, well, the university breached the contract. And the university goes, no, we're not paying because you breached the contract because you did something that you shouldn't have done right? You did something that violated the morals clause. And generally speaking, employment contracts have basically a quote unquote morals clause. It's a catch-all. It's the, if we think you do something that hurts our brand, then we can terminate you. Okay. That's how that works. That's what that is. And it is, it's a catch-all. It can be I don't like the shirt that you were wearing because of the graphic that was on it because I think that maybe it could possibly hurt our brand. That's it, okay? So really kind of low bar when we're talking about a catch-all. But we look at these tweets and to give a little bit of perspective to it because if you look at it in a vacuum, maybe these tweets don't make sense. But one of the pieces that I look at trying to think this through is we have a college professor. Don't we want our college professors to maybe stretch the limits on things, to, to look at different ways to approach the world, to, to take these different concepts and try to make sense of, of why certain things are happening and maybe think outside of the box, right? Now, I'm not saying to go and be racist. I'm not. Okay. Don't get me wrong whatsoever. Okay. But we're talking about voting and voting has been a big topic, right? It's been a big topic on colleges and universities here in the U S it's been a big topic in the news. Uh, the minority vote this year has been a huge topic. Okay. Those of you who are in Florida, uh, especially Tampa and Miami, Tampa and Miami have a big Cuban population and There has been lots and lots and lots of talk of, you know, getting the Cuban population into voting and and getting those votes in and where they fall on the Republican and Democrat side of things. And it's really it's been honestly an interesting topic. And I'm getting off a little bit on an aside here, but you know, it's it's really very very interesting I think to look at because you have Cubans in Tampa and Miami who remember a time prior to Castro and remember Castro coming into power. Okay. And basing their their voting here in the U.S. in 2020 based on that experience. Uh, I think that's very powerful. I, I think that's what helps us grow as a country because we have such a diverse background and people from from all segments of everything, and and just different life experiences. I think that is what makes this country so great and our system of democracy so great. Yeah, you know what? There's been people who've said that these lawsuits have taken a hit on democracy. Maybe not. Maybe it's making making things stronger, okay? Maybe it really is, because we're asking, at times, as a country, not necessarily me individually, okay, but people within the country have asked at times for pulling back the curtain. Is that an inherently bad thing? Okay. Now look, we pull back the curtain and we find that there's no fraud. Awesome. Great. The system works. We pull it back and find that there is some kind of fraud going on. How do we fix it? Okay. At the end of the day, no matter what happens, I think it makes our country stronger. I think it makes democracy stronger here. I think it makes our voting system stronger. And the good news is Florida is not part of the discussion as to anything broken. Uh, we had our famous hanging chads moment. So luckily, we in Florida aren't part of that. But let's get back to this. Because what this professor at the University of Miami is looking at is... And his quotes, blacks allow themselves to be taken for granted and treated horribly by Democrats. Latinos don't. Also, population difference re- will grow because blacks have 50% more abortions than Latinos per cap. Okay? And that per cap would be per capita. So it's a way to equalize, right? Uh, one for every 100,000 people, for example. Okay? It, it just, it takes when you have different numbers, it helps put it basically into a percentage that makes sense. Now, could I find... Uh, a big part of that tweet to be inflammatory and wrong. Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, it's one thing to look at how blacks vote versus Latinos vote and why, okay? Now, do I think where he may have crossed the line is the abortion side of things? Yeah, I mean, yes. I was going to say most likely, but yeah, I mean, I don't really know how you defend that. OK, and then the follow up. So in conclusion, with there being many more Latino voters and black voters and a higher rate of Latino voters being swing voters, it is my opinion that Latino voters have more political power than black voters in America today. Again, I welcome disagreement and debate. All right. So let's look at that. Where does this fall apart from the legal side? Well, you know, abortion is a very tough topic right? You're never going to fall, I think, on the right side of that topic unless you're a politician, right? If you're on the Democratic side, you're going to fall on the right side of that topic with your party. If you're on the Republican side, you're going to fall on the right side of that topic with your party. You're an employee at a university that isn't teaching some sort of class that has to do with the politics of abortion. You're going to fall on the wrong side of it, okay? It doesn't matter what your opinion is on it. You're going to fall on the wrong side. Because 50% of the people are going to say you're right, 50% are going to say you're wrong, bad spot to be in. This professor, in his own words, okay, is, quote unquote, married to a woman of color. What impact does that have on this? Well, you know, I, I just, I don't know, me personally, I couldn't imagine, right, somebody being in a marriage with somebody and being different races and, and having one of them be racist. I don't know how that would work at home, okay? Um, so to come out and say that this person is racist, uh, I, I don't know, right? Maybe he is. I don't know him. I don't know anything about him other than his quote of of who he's married to, okay? I, look, being married for almost 10 years now, uh, I can tell you if there was some sort of peace like that, it, it would be really very hard to maintain a relationship that you're actually living with somebody okay uh, I think that would come out and I think it would destroy a relationship but hey um, maybe not but he's under contract with the university so the university can't just fire him so we talked about being able to be fired at will doesn't apply here what we'd be looking at from the legal perspective is a breach of contract and where I think he's going going to fall apart on it and where I think the university could fall back on is the abortion piece now kind of interesting, the professor has come out and said that he's been fired, right? Although he still works at the university, and the university has actually come out and said, we haven't fired him. So so which is it, right? Um, But something to keep an eye on, something to look at. Um, You know, I I don't think that second tweet, I think the second tweet actually is open for discussion, right? I think that's what we want, and this is what I was getting to when I started this, I think that's what we want out of our college and university professors. I think we want them to welcome that debate. I think we want them to welcome that discussion, because I think that discussion helps further the country and helps further democracy, okay? Uh, Look, the discussion is just that. I mean, look, I I have attorney friends who, you know, we, we fall on opposite sides of of Republican and Democrat. And guess what? We can have discussions. And sometimes they'll try to change my mind. Sometimes I'll try to change their mind. And sometimes, amazingly, we actually agree on things, right? So discussion is important because that person may go, hey, what about this? And maybe it's something you had never thought of. And you go, hey, you know what? That makes a little bit of sense. Let me look into this some more. So long story short, Can your tweets, your Instagram posts, can your Facebook posts get you fired? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, 100%, uh, especially in Florida, at Will State, you can be fired at any time. If you have a contract, generally there's a morals clause within those contracts, so those can be terminated, okay, because you as the employee would be in breach, meaning if you're in breach, it means you did something that violated the contract, which means that there are penalties, okay so interesting story to keep an eye on Uh, like i said this is out of the university of miami so we'll keep an eye on that as we go through some things but big thing keep in mind watch watch your social media okay even if you mark it private it's not private all right we get discovery all the time and discovery is where we gather evidence and we ask for it from defendants the defendants ask for it from our clients and it doesn't matter if you've marked it private or not okay it doesn't matter if you've deleted it because guess what? When when you pull the Facebook download, it's still there. Okay, so don't don't worry about oh I deleted it. Yeah, guess what? It's still there. It still exists in the world. So keep that in mind. Now let's switch gears one more time. Uh, something I don't think we've done in a little bit, but we have a couple of listener questions and both of them. Uh, there was a few that came in on Instagram. As always, okay, you can ask your listener questions on Instagram. You can send me a direct message, or when I put the story up on Instagram, you can respond to that. Uh, either way works, or you can reach out at lawfather at tampalawfather.com, which is the email address solely dedicated to this show and for listener questions. Uh, so I picked two out today that have to do with timing. Okay. Uh, And it's really kind of an important thing to know the timing of things. And these two questions deal with kind of, they follow the right timeline as we talk about time, if you will, Uh, no pun intended there. Uh, So the first one is how soon after my accident, should I contact an attorney? Great question. Uh, You know, I I think the insurance companies would want you to never contact an attorney. Uh, But, you know, I, I think from our perspective, from the attorney perspective, it's really imperative that you contact an attorney immediately, okay? Because here's why. A lot of times the insurance companies want to take your statement. And I can tell you having been a person who's taken statements from people, who's interviewed people, uh, you know, back in my law enforcement days, getting statements out of people is a little bit of an art, okay? And the insurance companies, they want to get information from you that's in the light most favorable to them, okay? Okay? And you can do that. It's, it's easily done, okay? You start getting people to say things and do things that they don't really want to do. And, and like I said, having been in law enforcement, having interviewed people before, yes, we would read them their Miranda rights, and you would be shocked at what people would tell you. Oh, you must have coerced them. You must have done this. You must have tricked them. No. I, I wish I had an understanding of the psychology that goes along with people telling you things that they shouldn't tell you, that probably deep down they know they shouldn't tell you, but they tell you anyway, okay? Um, To get off a little bit on an aside, I vividly remember when I, my first year or two with the sheriff's office in Pinellas County, we had an 18-year-old who had uh, set fire to his parents' car. It was deep in the woods somewhere, uh, and we actually were only able to trace it back by the tag and we go and, and we actually started the conversation off with the parents, just notifying them of, of their car and, and that, hey, we found their car and it had been burned. And um, if you've ever seen a car fire, it, it's it's kind of amazing. It actually melts literally everything. Uh, the glass turns to liquid. Uh, and then when the fire gets put out, it actually turns back into glass. Uh, but it, it can actually destroy all of the identifying features, right? The the VIN number plates, the license plate, that that's how hot Car fires can burn, and luckily in this one we we had the license plate. But I, I vividly remember sitting at this kitchen table with their 18-year-old son, who was the last person known to have the car, and start talking to him. And you know, hey, you're not you're not in trouble. You're free to leave. Um, can I ask you a few questions? Sure. And start asking some questions, and and getting deeper and deeper. And lo and behold. Turns out he took the car to the woods and he burned it. Now, I can't remember why, okay? But the moral of the story is people will tell you things that they shouldn't, okay? And that applies to car crashes as well. I get these recordings uh, of people who they've talked to their car insurance first. And I listen, and I kind of cringe. Oh, I'm perfectly fine. It's an hour after the crash. And then they're calling me the next day saying oh man, as the day went on, I got, I'm really sore. Okay. Now we're trying to unring the bell because now the insurance company is holding up that recording saying, look, you're fine. You're fine. You said you were fine. Okay. So keep that in mind. So how soon after should you contact an attorney right away? Because we can help you through that statement. Very important for us to get pictures of everything. We want to get pictures of the road. If we can, we want to get pictures of the cars. Kind of an important thing to keep in mind, and most people don't know this, and and this goes back to having learned how to put crashes back together in law enforcement. Anti lock brakes are a great thing, but what doesn't happen when you have anti lock brakes are skid marks, okay? So you hear a lot from the insurance companies, well, there was no skid marks, so how bad could it have been? Well, guess what? Skid marks don't generally happen on anti lock brake cars, but there is a ghosting effect that happens in the roadway. When you apply the brakes in a situation where before anti lock brakes, you probably would have had skid marks. And guess what? Those go away very quickly. So if you're able to grab pictures of those right away, you're going to be in a much better spot and you get those to your attorney right away. That helps a lot as well. So when should you contact an attorney after a crash? Immediately. Okay. Call 911. Uh, call 911. Make sure everybody's fine. Get the police on their way. After that, call 855 Law Father. It's honestly it's that simple. Uh, that's that's really the immediacy of how these things should go. So that's how quickly after. Now let's look at another piece of time from the next question: is how long do accident claims take to settle? Now that's not a fair one to necessarily be able to answer to, to put a hard line time frame on that. Now I can tell you our systems show us how long it takes for cases to settle. And our average is five months. No, I can tell you some are shorter than that and some are far longer than that. So really it comes down to the nuances and the mechanics of the crash and the severity of the crash, the severity of the injuries, the amount of the policy limits. Okay. Now a policy limit doesn't tell us the value of a case, the person's injuries do, but it can tell us the speed in which a case can resolve because it can tell us the medical treatment that can be had during the course of the case, okay? So that's a little bit tougher question to answer. If I were to give a real answer to that, it's somewhere between five months and two years, okay? I I don't see that many on the two-year spectrum. Now, a lot of times that deals with cases that are in litigation, that deals with Uh, A lot of times a commercial carrier in a really bad crash case, uh, you know, there's circumstances that come out that you have all the factors that that say this case is a slam dunk and that person's owed a lot of money. But you have insurance companies, when we're talking, you know, close to seven figures, you know, uh, close to a million dollars that get to the point of, we're not necessarily going to give you our money without you filing a lawsuit and without us doing the litigation dance and oh by the way because it's such a big thing we're going to hire a defense attorney who's going to drag this thing out as long as possible so that's what we're looking at there generally speaking five months is a good time frame uh if it's a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more on the injury side or a person has surgery it can creep longer uh, and go from there so that is the timeline those are the listener questions this is the law father uh check us out as i said on the 24th november 24th 2020 from 11 a.m to 1 p.m in hyde park village giving away public's gift cards for turkeys all you got to do is follow us on social media so follow us on social media come see us we verify that you followed us and you get a public's gift card okay now look supplies are going to be limited so make sure you get out there early because once it's gone it's gone okay so That is the show for today. As always, follow us on all of our social media. Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And one of the last shows here in the original Lawfather headquarters as we get ready to head to the new Lawfather headquarters in December. That is the show for today. Lawfather out.
0: This is a live Bolden Boss Up Quick Fix on Radio Influence. We actually have something super special in store for you. We went to the first live event in 2020. Um, it was the Small Business of the Year event hosted by Tampa Chamber. Um, it was at the Armature Works here in downtown Tampa. And um, we interviewed just a couple random people. Um, throughout the night, some winners, some runners up, some finalists, just to kind of get their feel of how they felt about, you know, actually being at a live event. It was so cool. It was so much fun. I hope you can really feel the energy um, as we kind of interview some of these people. And um, it's a little loud because obviously we're at an event. So um, forgive all the extra noise in the background. But it was so much fun. We were able to just meet people throughout the night. And of course, we were all wearing our mask and just going up to them and just asking them what they thought about the event. And um, it was just nice to be face to face to people again. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was awesome. Live Bold and Boss Up with Stephanie Marchese and Ashley Jiraki can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Podcasts the iHeartRadio app,
1: Spotify, and RadioInfluence.com.